Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Welcome to another edition of 1111 Talk Radio. It is a pleasure to have you here. I'd like to let you know that the latest issue of 1111 Magazine is up, and you can connect to that at 1111mag.com or simran-sing.com, along with a lot of other amazing announcements that are taking place these days. Definitely connect with me for my free newsletter. And I'm also doing a daily online diary that uh, will chronicle a huge journey that I'm about to undertake over the next year. So I'd love to connect with you there. Today, I want to talk a little bit about ecstasy because that's one of my words this year. I choose words every year as to the types of things that I want to experience. And my words this year were timeless, boundless, and ecstasy. And lo and behold, the universe always brings me exactly what I need. I got an amazing book entitled The Power of Ecstatic Trance, Practices for Healing, Spiritual Growth, and Accessing the Universal Mind by Dr. Nicholas Brink. And that is what we're talking about today. The body is a computer. The hardware, our mental conditioning, our beliefs and attitudes that come from culture, early life experiences and personality orientation comprise the software. The outcome of the interaction between the hardware and the software is our state of consciousness, what we perceive and how we respond to our perceptions, both emotionally and behaviorally. Changes to either the hardware or the software can change our state of consciousness. And people have experienced these altered states of consciousness in many different means. Some use drugs. Other people do different types of movements, such as Sufi dancing. And now there's a new, there's a method that is being discussed today, which is called ecstatic trance, and it has to do with postures. And I'm excited to speak with my guest, Dr. Nicholas Brink, who is a psychologist who has maintained a private clinical practice since 77. He's board certified by the American Board of Professional Psychology on the board of directors of the International Association for the Study of Dreams and a past president of the American Association for the Study of Mental Imagery. He's a certified teacher of ecstatic trance with the Felicitas Goodman Institute, and he is the author of The Power of Ecstatic Trance. Welcome, Nick, to 1111 Talk Radio. It's a pleasure to have you here, and I'd like for uh, for us to begin this segment with having an understanding of how you came across ecstatic trance in the beginning. Okay. Um, you mentioned I was the um, 
past president of the American Association for the Study of Mental Imagery. And back in like 2005, I think it was, um, I was organizing a conference for uh, the use of mental imagery. I, in my practice as a psychologist, I use a lot of dream work, mental imagery, and hypnosis, clinical hypnosis. And it, uh, in planning this conference, one of the members of the association said, I should invite Felicitas Goodman to be our keynote speaker. And as a result of that conversation, I phoned her, and I talked to her on the phone, and she agreed but then everything after that sort of went wrong. The, uh, the printer got our brochures out oh, way too late, and the, sort of the conference fell apart, and so we decided to cancel it. But, in, but with that, I read uh, Felicitas Goodman's book. It's, it's the power, or excuse me, it's the um, Where the Spirits Ride the Wind. And it was a fascinating book, and... After reading it, somewhere along the line, I had the gumption at one of the Dream Association conferences to do a workshop every morning for four mornings for an hour each session, and I just jumped in and used the postures that she suggested, and it amazed me. It amazed me how what she had to say worked. What she did is... um, she is from, uh, I should probably give you a brief history on Felicitas Goodman. She is from uh, Hungary, or she died about uh, like three or four years ago. But she was from Hungary, and she had her degrees, I think, from a university in Europe. And when she um, came here to this country, she was quite popular on college campuses by uh, offering, uh, by doing translations from, I think she knew 20 different languages. And being on college campuses, she met a, a, a anthropologist that was doing research in, in a static trance, examining 183 different um, primitive cultures around the world and seeing what it took to induce trance. And so Felicitas got involved in that research. And she, what she did is she went to Mexico to an apost- to uh, a Mayan speaking and also a Mexican speaking apostolic church where they spoke in tongues, and speaking in tongues she she realized was one one form of a static trance, and in spending time with the people in these churches she came up with uh, a what she felt was the elements necessary to induce trance. Um, these, uh, the first one was having a private physical space, which in that case was the church. Then uh, the, the uh, expectation of having a non-ordinary state of consciousness. In this case, the ecstatic trance is a non-ordinary state of consciousness, just like hypnosis and dreaming are also altered states of consciousness. They, the, the, she then also added that, she, that the people there needed to believe that the experience was normal, enjoyable, and pleasurable. And I like to add to that also healing. Um, then she had a um, meditative technique of quieting. Uh, they had a, uh, quieting their minds, which was um, their prayer. And I think all those uh, four. Um, aspects to a static trance really apply to also hypnotic trance. But then she added the idea of the rhythmic stimulation to the nervous system. 
at the in the churches they would have this rapid clapping of hands. They their songs were were uh, had a real rhythm to it, and. So with those uh, five elements, she came home to her students at uh, Denison University. By then, she had her Ph.D. in anthropology. And at Denison University, uh, uh, working with her students, she led them into trance. And yes, the the stimulation to the nervous system did bring them into a trance, but she was disappointed that somehow there was no pattern or system to the type of trance they went into. Then she um, read an article by a Canadian psychologist who had examined body postures of different meditation uh, systems, the lotus posture of of Zen and and, uh, other postures, the different postures of Tai Chi and and yoga, and he found that the body posture had had very specific effects on the body. I, he he measured skin moisture, heart rate, um, breathing rates, bowel motility, a whole series of biological functions, and discovered that the that different postures had different effects on the on the body. So this gave Felicitas the idea of going back and looking at ancient. Uh, primitive art, and also got contemporary primitive art in, 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 in uh, art books and museums, and she came up with about 50 different postures that she believed um, were used by shaman, either ancient or contemporary. And she had her students lay, sit, or stand in these postures while she beat her drum. She used a drum or a rattle. And the beat was like at 210 beats a minute, so it was quite rapid. And um, she took it really took it out of the religious context of the church, and 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 sort of came up with more of a a primitive type of uh, ritual uh, of calling the spirits from the six directions, of cleansing using a smudging uh, a bundle of herbs that are smoking for smudging. She, she, she created her own uh, ritual that she used with these students to meet these criteria. And what she found was, yes, the postures had very specific uh, effects. Some postures were for uh, bringing energy into your body for healing. Some postures were for um, traveling into the three different uh, spheres, some for traveling into the underworld or traveling in this world or traveling into the upper world. Uh, some postures were for, for metamorphosis or shape-shifting, uh, uh, typically of becoming an animal. Other postures were uh, 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 death-rebirth experiences, oh, and some postures were for divination of finding answers to questions. And I used like eight of these postures at this dream conference and that's and the the people that use them that was exactly the kind of experience that they had. It really validated what she was doing. So, so I came home at that point. This was in 2007, and I started a group here at home. We met weekly, and we are still meeting uh, probably once or twice a month now, uh, uh, working with these postures. And we've had we've had many healing experiences, and we've had many experiences that take us beyond. Um, our regular senses into in, into extra, extra sensory experiences. 
Well, well, that's I want a, to get that's more a into summary of what we've been doing. So. Wonderful, wonderful. And I want to get more into that with some questions as we come back from this break. Over the millennia, shamanic trance journeying has been used as a way of healing, of providing answers to questions, and of offering solutions to individual, family, and community problems. Though traditionally it was the shaman of the community who went on such journeys, the revolutionary work of the late anthropologist Felicitas Goodman shows that we all have these shamanic powers. Her research on the body postures found in ancient primitive art and in the practices of contemporary shamans offers each of us the ability to experience ecstatic trance journeys firsthand. The book, Power of Ecstatic Trance, Practices for Healing, Spiritual Growth, and Accessing the Universal Mind, is written by Nicholas E. Brink, and you can connect more with him at imaginalmind.com. That's I-M-A-G-I-N-A-L-M-I-N-D.com, imaginalmind.com. We'll be right back with Nick Brink. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. The ecstatic trance experiences that Nick describes are most suitable to a group setting, which uses the added strength of group synergy to enable participants to shift consciousness. In addition, the sharing and discussing of experiences within the group after a trance session provides them with useful understanding and direction for each participant. Each person in the group becomes his or her own shaman. And although they don't use this term in the traditional sense, they also can uh, allow healing to take place. And these people actually heal themselves. They're discovering that we all have shamanic powers, powers that traditionally have been held exclusively by the shaman. The book, again, is called The Power of Ecstatic Trance, Practices for Healing, Spiritual Growth, and Accessing the Universal Mind, written by Dr. Nicholas Brink. Nick, I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the things that you mentioned in the last segment 
And the first thing that I'd like to know is the distinction or the advantages of ecstatic trance work over traditional procedures of, let's say, hypnotherapy or guided imagery. Is there, uh, are, is there a distinction and are there specific advantages? Yeah, I believe there really are. Um, the, the one I used the most was hypnosis. And I found it very useful in therapy, but in therapy I needed to really, uh, it was a lot of sharing back and forth. The clients would come to me with specific problems, and typically what I would do is I would have them um, define the, the emotions that they had with the problems, whether it's anxiety or depression. And then I would suggest, this is analytic hypnotherapy, I would suggest that they take it back through time, and I would use time regression to go back to the source of what caused their problems, their original depression, their original things that happened to cause them to feel anxious. Then I would suggest that they have their adult self go back and be with their younger self, and working with those two roles, we would find solutions. But it was, it was it took very much my own, my a lot of my own energy, a lot of my own judgments, which which was effective. In a static trance, um, where in hypnosis I would give verbal suggestions, in a static trance, the suggestions come from the postures. And I have found that I don't need to know what the person's problem is. Uh, I just lead them through the trances, and um, they, they find their solutions. I don't need to know it, and I, I don't have that responsibility. Um, the responsibility comes out of the postures. Uh, one of my favorite examples is, um, I have a book right here. On, I guess you have the book. It's on like page 116. Um, a woman came to me. She was in, oh, she, these are always in group sessions, too. She was part of my first group. And she had this particular, we used a divination posture, a posture of asking for, um, I'm not too sure even what her question was that she asked of the diviner. Uh, tip, um, I should probably describe some of the postures as we go along. A divination posture is usually a sitting posture, sitting cross-legged or, or sitting with your knees up on, on, the, on the ground, usually with your um, right hand raised in front of your face. And when you look at that posture, uh, I ask people, what does it remind you of? And almost invariably they say, uh, uh, Rodin's The Thinker. But in this case, the, the, the fist is not against the chin, but it's away from the face, more open, open to the environment or to what I would call the universal mind around us. Um, so the posture, I think, really does communicate deep thought of searching for an answer. But in this one particular person, she, uh, what, how, how she recorded her experience was, I began in a womb, in a womb-shaped den-like cave of branches. I was trying to figure out what animal I was. Then I realized I was a very happy little girl, about eight years old. I was alone, but happy and free. I was in a city on a sidewalk, and the city was gray and ugly, but I felt so alive and happy. I walked up, the, uh, up a road and turned onto a wide bridge and in, the, in a very industrial city setting. I stayed on the bridge uh, for a while, feeling happy, young, and free. I have to turn the page. Um, oops. Then I began um, 
to cross the bridge and realized it led into an enormous warehouse. I did not want to go in. I turned around, and behind me was city, ugly and gray, but home. Then I got very, very sad. Then I became annoyed because I could not get off the bridge. I wanted to change visions, but that did not work. I wanted to end the meditation, but it was still, I was still on the bridge. So I let all emotions escape me and entered the warehouse. It was hell, a hellish landscape. I marched through and exited the other side. I was surprised to see a road continue on a beautiful and colorful landscape. I laid down in the grass, and I knew it was beautiful, but I could not feel the same excitement. I was older now. She came back the following week and announced that she had not had a cigarette all week. She had been struggling for a few months to stop smoking, but this experience gave her the permission. I think when you look at the experience, um, she was young and innocent when she was smoking, but she, she knew that she would have to go through hell to quit. But in this case, the hell was just a, the, the brief time it took her to go through the warehouse. And she came out the other side, and everything was beautiful. She wasn't smoking, but she, somehow she felt older. She had lost that childhood innocence. So I think the, metaphor, the experiences we have in the static trance are generally metaphoric, just like dreams. And in this case, uh, this metaphoric experience that she had is what gave her permission to quit smoking. And I have many such healing experiences over, over the years with, with using a static trance. So, Nick, I have a question in regard to ecstatic trance. Uh, is it something that is an intent put forward, or is it an expectation, or, uh, or, or should neither be used, or should both be used? I didn't quite understand the first part of the question. In regard to using or utilizing this method and, and to go into ecstatic trance, is it something that intention is utilized in the beginning, or is there an expectation that one is trying to achieve? Oh. Right. It, it depends. I mean, we often go, to a, go into a trance with some intention, and the... Um, uh, sometimes the answer we get is, is, is uh, I mean, I've had the answer a number of times is, well, I'm not going to answer that question. I, I mean, I've had the, or, or you're not ready to hear the answer. I've, I've often been given uh, answers that I didn't expect. But yes, we go into the experience usually, usually with some intention in mind. But uh, a big part of the intention is defined by the posture. Like in this case, the divination posture is a posture of, of deep thought, of, of searching for an answer from somewhere, whether it comes from your, from your unconscious mind or whether it comes from what I would call the universal mind. Um, I think that the, the, maybe it would be useful to talk briefly about some of the other postures. The uh, healing posture where you're in, bringing in a, a feeling of, of energy into your body. The, the classic posture for that is we call it the bare spirit posture, where you're standing and you have your hands resting on your abdomen, and you're standing erect with your shoulders back. So as you feel your stomach rising and falling because your hands are on your abdomen, and with your hands there you're breathing correctly from your diaphragm, you're feeling this energy flowing into your body. And as you exhale, you can feel that energy um, going deeper and flowing throughout your body. Um, 
the spirit journey postures, going into the underworld, you're lying on the ground with either your face down, your forehead against the ground, or on your back, but you're, you're laying close to the earth. While when you look at the postures for journeying in, in this world, our, our earthly realm, uh, the one, one of the main postures, you're standing with your one hand resting across your waist and the other hand sort of rigidly pointing towards the earth. Uh, the figurine is from, uh, um, I think, Babylon. Or no, no, it's, it's a Malta. It's, it's from the island of Malta. It's, it's uh, several thousand years old. But it's, um, she, she's a very heavy-set woman standing in a very planted way. And I think when you, if you're going to journey in this world, you need to have that planted connection with the earth. While journeying into the upper world, um, we uh, Felicia has found uh, two images: one from Egypt and the other from one of the caves in in uh, France, where the person was uh, uh, their head was 37 degrees above their feet. They were lying on a uh, on a slope, and she made what she called her launching pads, uh, a platform that was raised at 37 degrees, and. From that, you're, you're, you're sort of an unstable connection to the earth, and you typically rise into the heavens, into the into the upper world. Uh, I was looking at uh, petroglyphs, rock carvings along the northwest coast of Sweden, around Tanum, Sweden, and I found so many of that all those postures where the warriors were rising to Valhalla uh, after they were killed in battle. So many of the, the scenes I saw were battle scenes. So. When you look at the postures, the 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 shape shifting posture, the uh, metamorphosis posture, you're usually sitting on the ground, sitting on your legs, and one of the main ones is you're sort of leaning forward with your back straight and your knuckles on the ground in front of you, sort of as if you have four uh, four legs, and so it makes sense that that you would become some animal in that posture. Um, the uh, death rebirth, the initiation postures. There you're standing with your hands at your waist, uh, with your, the back of your fingers against your waist, sort of like the old nursery rhyme, uh, I'm, a, I'm a teacup, where you have the, your elbows sticking out like the handles of a teacup, but here you have two handles. So in that posture, you sort of have a, a sort of a feeling of defiance of, I am ready. I am ready to die. Some part of me is ready to die and be reborn. So I think the postures become very expressive in terms of what they're communicating to you. So the, the posture gives a very clear suggestion or a very clear message kinesthetically to the body, so, uh, sort of defining what, what's going to happen within the posture. So, so typically, and comparing it to hypnosis, where I go back in time, typically I might use three or four different postures over three or four weeks. The first posture would be a divination posture to define what problem I'm working on. Then I'd, go, I'd go, have an underworld posture where I'd go into, into the underworld or psychologically, I might say, into my unconscious mind to find the answers. Then I would have do a death-rebirth posture to let go of the old part of me and, and, and um, be reborn in, 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 in a new, with new innocence. Then I might go into the upper world to, to really have a peak experience to, to really incorporate all these previous three postures. So that particular sequence of postures I use quite frequently um, just because I find it, uh, well, one person refers to that as, as soul, soul retrieval. 
but I think it was very, very powerful to what I used in analytic hypnotherapy. My guest today is Nicholas Brink, and he is a student of Felicitas Goodman and Belinda Gore, a psychologist that has examined more than 20 traditional trance postures for divination, decision-making, letting go of guilt and grief, healing of illness and emotional pain, spirit journeys, shape-shifting, interacting with the animal spirits and the dead, exploring the physiology and psychology of ecstatic journeying. He offers guidance for those with little or no experience, as well as methods for longtime practitioners to deepen their practice and reclaim their extrasensory power of our ancient ancestors, offering solid theories of how ecstatic trance triggers healing and spiritual development. Nicholas explains how trance journeying allows us to tap into the collective unconscious or universal mind and access the information matrix of the Akashic field. You can connect with Nick Brink at imaginalmind.com. That's imaginalmind.com. And the name of the book is The Power of Ecstatic Trance, Practices for Healing Spiritual Growth and Accessing the Universal Mind. Again, that's The Power of Ecstatic Trance by Dr. Nicholas Brink. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Felicitas Goodman's research led her to attempt to reproduce such religious ecstatic trance experiences with her student volunteers in an atmosphere free of the religious dogma or belief that speaking in tongues indicates possession by the Holy Spirit. She distilled from their protocol some basic requirements needed to produce such trance. In brief, these are an open mind and relaxed body, along with the expectation of a pleasurable but non-ordinary state of reality. 
The second was a sacred space, one separate from the activities of everyday life. The third, a meditative technique, such as counting one's breath to calm the analytical mind. And fourth, rhythmic stimulation of the nervous system through rattling or drumming. The stimulation with the rattle or drum was offered at a rate of 210 beats per minute, similar to the beat of clapping and singing in church. Nick, when we talk about what needs to be put in place for ecstatic trance to take place, I'd like to first ask, is this something that someone can do on their own? Can they pick up this book and do the postures and, and have something playing in the background that is drumming or rattling at that beat level and facilitate themselves into going into ecstatic trance? Uh, yes, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. What ha- what I find happening is, yes, I've done it many, many times on my own. Um, people do it on their own, but what happens is if they don't have a very vivid experience, they just give up and don't try again. In the group setting, they have the the group spirit that pulls them together, and they, when we share, what, what we typically do is we uh, go through the ritual first of of uh, of we first define or talk about what posture we're going to use, then we um, practice that posture for a few moments to make and I check to make sure everybody is sitting, standing, or laying in that posture. Then we uh, do a cleansing, a smudging, where we're passing a smudging stick around the room where people uh, smudge themselves with with the smoke of of sage. Then I typically call the spirits of the six directions, the spirits of the the, uh, east, which is the sunrise, which is birth, the beginning of life, and then from the south is 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 the warmth of summer is uh, our childhood and the west I, I go around the, the four directions then the father sky and mother earth then we take five minutes of silence to quiet our minds then I start drumming or shaking the rattle and we do that for just 15 minutes and at the end of the 15 minutes when I, I, I have bring the drumming to an end people write down their responses uh, in a journal, or in my case, I like to have them put them on, on index cards, and I've, I have probably 2,000 of these cards now that I've collected, and, and, that, and those cards are what has gave me the content of this first book I wrote, and also the second, which is, has been accepted by the publisher, but won't come out for probably six months. But, but in, in doing this, the... Um, no, I forget what your question was. <laughs> well, I, I can go into another one, actually, because I think you answered what I needed to know. When people are sitting in these postures, are they focused on the posture? I know in the yogic tradition, we are asked to focus on our breath. So where is the mind in this whole thing? Okay. No, they... they um, well, we don't. We have them, don't have them focus on their breath in the posture. Yes, they experience the posture. Some postures could be fairly painful. I mean, uh, there's one posture that I just cannot do myself, and that's sitting back on my heels. And several of the postures uh, do that. Somehow, my legs just don't bend that way. And when I do it, uh, I've, I've used them, and it's very, very painful. I think sometimes the pain really um, uh, adds to the experience. When you relax into pain, uh, often it goes away. But they, they may focus on different things. One of my, um, the, usually they uh, often come with some sort of intent or question or concern. 
just this last uh, Sunday evening, the, uh, a woman came uh, for the first time, and she brought the concern with her of, of um, dealing with post-traumatic stress that she had a number of years before that she really was struggling with and, and feeling a need to begin to trust people around her. And we spent a lot of time, uh, a lot of her experience was feeling the trust of the people in the group. Um, so people have different purposes or different concerns and sometimes no concern. Uh, sometimes I have given them something to, uh, to think about. One of my favorites is we so often have mutual experiences where two people in the group or maybe all the, all the, everybody in the group has a very similar experience. And I had a group a while back to where I had uh, people um, sit in pairs facing each other. And my only instruction was is just be aware of the other person as you go into your trance. And all, all, there was eight of us. All four couples had very, very similar experiences. The person I paired myself with was one of the other men in the group. And in both of our experiences, we had this whole sense of spiraling energy, of, of something moving in a spiral. Uh, and, uh, uh, two of the women in the group, both their experiences were of flying through the sky and, and being birds. One of my favorites was uh, there was a husband and wife, a couple in the group, but I had them paired. And the husband was, uh, his experience was walking along the beach, uh, on, the, on the Oregon beach, holding hands with his wife. And the wife's experience was her hand was getting so tired. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one, uh, we, we have such elaborate experience. I mean, uh, this one other person here at the, in this group I have here at home, she saw me, or she, I saw her first uh, breaking up into a sh- of shimmering colors. And then these colors uh, uh, went up and down, then then back and forth through the through the uh, along the ceiling of the room, and then out the door. And we went out the door, and we went up on the hillside, and became trees on the hill behind our house. Her experience was she saw um, our heads pop open, and all these colorful birds fly out, and the birds flew around the room, and then went out the door. And we went out the door, and we became marble statues. So they were different, but yet they were so similar. And over and over and over again, I, I, we have these similar, I, I guess you have to call them extrasensory experiences, where um, there's some sort of connection between us, even though we didn't define the connection ahead of time. I'd like to talk a little bit about the drumming or the rattling in the 210 beats per minute. Is that something that someone can engage in while they're doing the postures, or do they need to have something playing in the background? Well, I have a, a, a whole collection of drumming and sh- rattle shaking on um, CDs, or I have a whole collection of CDs with this music. And, and I, at first, I always used to just used a CD and played the drumming, and so I could really hold the posture myself. Now that I um, feel comfortable of, of, of drumming uh, steadily for 15 minutes, I, I practically always do the drumming myself, and I find that I, I myself still go into the the um, experience suggested by the posture, even though I'm unable to to be in the posture because I have the drum and drumstick or the rattles in my hand. Um, but uh, I mean, yes, we've uh, I've often used a, a CD with with drumming or rattling on it. Wonderful. And when we talk about 
the purposes for going into ecstatic trance? Is it more so for raising the vibration and the healing and self-actualization? Is there an end purpose, or is it mostly for the experience? It depends. Uh, Belinda Gore, who is... uh, uh, the one of the one of um, Felicitas Goodman's first students, and since Felicitas just died, Belinda has really sort of taken charge of the institute, and she's the main person who instructs us. She was she was a, a beautiful person when I first started. I was doing this on my own here at home, and I, I had knew I knew of nobody else around the country who did it except I had Belinda's two books, the power the power of uh no the um, Ecstatic Trance and Ecstatic Experiences are two books, and both of them are workbooks illustrating the postures and talking about the postures. But somewhere along the line, I got her email address, and I emailed her with a question or two or telling her what I was doing, and we've become quite close friends. We email frequently. She, uh, After she saw what I was doing, she thought I needed to become an instructor, so she uh, had me do two workshops with her. And to become an instructor, so uh, she's the one that wrote the, the preface to to my book. Um, but she's been a great asset, and she and I are doing a workshop this summer here in Pennsylvania, um, retrieving the power of a static trance. So we're 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 just sort of letting it go, to take us where we go. We're not going to try to define any purpose. We're just going to. Um, Experience the postures, and experience the what the intent of the postures are, and what it, what it does to us, and and not have any really any other expectation from the experiences. So, being a psychologist, so often I'm looking for um, how the experiences help heal, or how they take us beyond our uh, our regular consciousness. But the postures in themselves uh, sort of can provide a peak experience, an ecstatic, an ecstatic experience that really feels good and doesn't have to have really any specific direction. My guest today is Dr. Nicholas Brink, and he is the author of The Power of Ecstatic Trance. This is a guide for spiritual and emotional development, spiritual journeying, and connection to the collective unconscious. It describes more than 20 ecstatic trance postures for healing, divination, spirit journeys, shape-shifting, past life recovery, and connecting to the Akashic field. It explores the physiology and psychology of ecstatic trance journeying, and it provides guidance for those with little or no experiences, as well as methods to deep in the practice. You can connect with Nick Brink at imaginalmind.com. That's I-M-A-G-I-N-A-L mind.com. And again, the name of the book is The Power of Ecstatic Trance. We'll be right back with Nick Brink. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. 
People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll free at 1 866 472 5795. Again, 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. My guest today is Nick Brink, and we are talking about the power of ecstatic trance and the different conditions that the environment must need to be in and what you can experience in this process. As we move forward into an era of time-free transparency, we'll be able to transcend the limits of three-dimensionality, and at the same time, we will be able to understand and appreciate on a deeper level the power of the time that has passed, the era of magic, which is characterized by humankind's intimate association with nature and a kind of dreamlike state, and the era of mythology in which the separate eye of the human being emerges, wherein the shaman becomes the conduit of hidden sources of wisdom. These latter eras have provided us with a number of the postures used in ecstatic posture work, which provide a doorway into the time-free transparency. This is an opportunity to allow yourself to go into methods of healing or self-actualization by utilizing postures of divination, initiation, in healing so that you can have the ecstatic experiences and also achieve the intent that was initially put out there. Nick, as, as we talk about some of this, I, I know that it also works a bit with going into past life regression or back in time and so much of who we are is based on the, the ground from which we came from. Talk a little bit about uh, connecting with the ancestors and knowing a little bit more about the past life or actual timelessness that we all are. Okay. That, that was one of the more exciting things that happened. Um, in, in, uh, as a psychologist and doing hypnosis, I had several times people go back to a past life, uh, but I didn't really take it really in, with great seriousness. We, we looked at what that was being said or what was being t- taught or the experience of the past life, which I always felt had something important to say to the individual. But in doing a static trance, I found these experiences happen much more frequently. Uh, I did have one person go, go back to a past life. He was a, uh, was went to Alaska and and was uh, an Eskimo, and they were on a hunting um, uh, um, trip, and, and he had several experiences on a hunting trip. But for myself, um, 
Well, let me read the the first the first experience that I had, where I really felt like I was talking to one of my ancestors, and from there that was back in January of two thousand and ten. Um, my experience was I went back to the oh I was using the Halstead warrior posture, which is a posture where you're standing with your uh, right arm wrapped around your uh, upper uh, upper torso and your left arm around your 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 waist as if sort of you're hugging yourself as if you're cold uh, and you're standing erect and he, he has a sort of his shoulders uh, lifted but that that's been defined as a um, a realm of the dead posture, where you're going into the realm of the dead. And I think that, again, it's very expressive. If I was going into the realm of the dead, I probably would be hugging myself as if I was awfully cold or apprehensive of, of going into the realm of the dead. But in this case, uh, oh, this actually, this posture was from the 5th century B.C. Uh, in Germany. I went back to the 5th century B.C. in Germany, like one of my ancestral places of origin. I was in a, uh, a thatched hall long and narrow, that was near uh, the entrance of a cave. One man wearing a bearskin was with me, not the chieftain, but the second or third in command. He told me that we were preparing for a hunt tomorrow morning, and some of the men were drawing uh, dirt pictures of animals and drawing spears stuck in them. Others were carving on the ends of their spears. He then told me that since I was from the future, I must have some wisdom or knowledge. Uh, turn the page here again. Um, uh, some wisdom or knowledge to help in the hunt. I shook my head no, but he insisted that I was to lead them in, uh, in tomorrow's hunt. We slept on the dirt floor around the fire, uh, and in the morning I took the men in what felt like a random direction, but we came to a, came to several deer. I motioned for the men, uh, uh, about a dozen of them, to spread out, and we herded the deer over a cliff. They all appreciated me and thought, and, and though I still felt like I had nothing uh, or had no special knowledge. Um, the man that we, in, the, in the bearskin that I was with really felt, I felt a real connection with him as if he was one of my ancestors. And that began a whole series of experiences. Uh, then I think the next one was I was uh, a, 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 sh- a merchant, a ship captain, bringing the ship into a river in, in Normandy, uh, where we where uh, we were unloading the um, the merchandise, and then a, a young boy came running down the hill, who was my son, and told me that uh, grandfather was dying, and I uh, went up to I quickly turned the work over to somebody else and went up the hill to where our, our uh, a little uh, thatched hut was, and yes, my my father was in there, and he was on his deathbed. My wife had called the local priest, who was um, had and they had rosary breeds, and I felt very offended by that. I knew my father was was not Catholic; he was still a a pagan, and I quickly um, threw out the rosary beads and started drumming uh, to feeling that that's what my father would, would have wanted, and then he died. And from that experience, I've had uh, several others, and so I decided I was going to start collecting them. And I I collected like uh, probably 60 or 70 of these experiences. I started doing them intentionally, intentionally going back to certain times in the past. And I basically went back to three different eras, the um, 
Viking era, when, when people still worshipped the mother goddess, in, uh, and we were in a village in Denmark, then I moved forward in time to the period of transition of when, when we moved away from the goddess era into the era of, of the Viking warriors, and then uh, the third era was during the Viking times. And these experiences were all very powerful. I really felt like each time I was one of the, one of the people in the stories that was my ancestor. And several times I was more the, the, the shaman of the group. But this this whole idea of moving from the goddess era into the transition up into our much more militant era that we're still in, and I I now feel like we're moving out of that into a new age. but the, the, my, my second book that's in the hands of the publisher right now is about, about those experiences. And I'm quite excited about the whole process there. That's wonderful. I'd love for people to understand a little bit more about the Institute and the work that it does in case they're wanting to connect with a larger workshop if they're in an area that they uh, cannot find a group. Can you talk a little bit about the Institute and some of the, the things that are taking place there or what it offers for individuals that are wanting to experience ecstatic trance a little deeper? Yes, that's great. Um, um, I'm glad you reminded me. The, the Kuamungi Institute, that's C-U-Y-M-U-N-G-U-E, Kuamungi Institute, uh, .com, it's on the Internet. Um, Felicitas um, was able to lease. She found this piece of land in New Mexico that she thought was beautiful, and it's on the Puaki Pueblo. In New Mexico, there's like 18 Pueblos. Rather than having a reservation, the Pueblo groups have broken up into like 18 smaller uh, reservations. But on the Puaki Pueblo, which is about 14 miles north of Santa Fe, we're up, um, she was able to lease like uh, 400 and some acres and that, um, on which we have the institute. And she, she built in this little arroyo up on this hill uh, five buildings. There's the Casa, which is the um, place where we have the dining room and where we, uh, um, some people s- will sleep there and it's sort of the main building. Then there's the Casita, which is a smaller building that was Felicitas's when, be- when she was alive. That's the building that I've stayed in most times I've been there. Then there's the dormitory that will sleep probably 10, ten people. Then there's the Kiva. The, actually, there's two Kivas, but one Kiva is now the library. The main kiva that we use is, is round, it's circular, it's half underground, and we meet in there probably two, three, four times a day for these experiences. Um, and they're usually, in, in workshops we have there in New Mexico, there are usually maybe anywhere from 10 to 15 people that come to a workshop. Uh, I, did one, I did one last summer on, on just what my book is about, this next summer, I'm scheduled to do one in, at the end of uh, July, 1st of August, um, on an, um, animal, spirit, spirit, animal spirit guides. Um, so the, the, there's a whole series of workshops throughout the summer at, at the Institute. Uh, uh, there's, uh, Melinda's doing two, one on um, the introductory to becoming an instructor, and then one on the mask trance dance, which is uh, where we end up... Uh, finding our animal spirits and making masks and then choreographing a, a ceremony around the, the animals that we have become. 
Um, at the end of the summer, we're going to have a, the, the first men's gathering. Um, typically, this group has been primarily women, and, but now there's a core of us men that have, that have become part of the Institute, so we're getting together, the men are getting together. Next, next summer is going to be um, what would have been Felicitas Goodman's 100th birthday, so we're having a big uh, week-long um, um, get-together uh, in, in, in memory of her and her birthday. But then there's also around the world, there's a key um, uh, key Solomon in Germany. She has an institute there that she, of course, she teaches it in, in, in Nauwald uh, Nau, uh, Nau, uh, in Germany. Um, we're doing one here in, in Milheim, uh, here in Pennsylvania this summer, where Belinda and I will be doing it together. So we also in the institute, institute, we have a list of other places where there's going to be workshops. Thank you so much, Nick. I want to thank you for being on 1111 Talk Radio and helping to bring more light to this this uh, method so that more individuals that are seeking something like this have the ability to find it. Again, that is the Kayamunga method, and it's kayamunga.com, C-U-Y-A-M-U-N-G-U-E. Definitely connect there. If you'd like to connect with Nick Brink, you can go to imaginalmind.com, and the name of the book is The Power of Ecstatic Trance. And I invite you to definitely take a look at it to allow yourself to understand these other postures in the way that you can be the shaman in your own life for your own healing, for self-actualization, for initiation or steps into new ways. Allow yourself to discover who you are. My guest next week will be Don Ruiz, Jr., and he is discussing the levels of attachment. It will be an exciting show as we all start to look at what we are truly attached to and what we need to let go of. Until next time, I'm Simran Singh. Be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Talk Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens.